Mr. Punka, all the way from Seattle. So great to have you back. We're missing your wife, Tash, but um, it's great to have you back here. Yeah, we miss you guys so much. How is everyone? Oh, you're all looking amazing. Who's excited for Pastor Brian Houston next weekend? It is going to be huge. I'm telling you, there is probably no other person that I glean the most wisdom from their preaching than Pastor Brian Houston. I podcast his stuff all the time. He is probably a modern day Solomon, I would say. And there is a reason that the Hillsong movement is, uh, you know, I think getting close to 100,000 people around the world. There's a reason there is so much favor and influence on that man's life. So do not miss next weekend. In fact, bring a friend. It's going to be totally appropriate for you to have an unsaved friend here next weekend. So let's pack all three services out and just hear what God wants to say to us. I'd love it if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 10. The title of my message this morning is The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. And my prayer this morning is that if you do not know Jesus as your good shepherd, that by the end of this 40-minute message, you will see how good and awesome it is to be one of the sheep that follows Jesus. So turn in, the Bible to, turn in your Bible to the book of John, chapter 10. We're going to start reading at verse 11 through to verse number 16. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, because his motivation is a paycheck, because his motivation is dollar signs, and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Do you know that God knows you? Bible says in Psalm 139 that he's acquainted with all your ways. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life. This is the second time that Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep in this passage. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. So can we see that the plan of our Lord Jesus Christ is inclusive, not exclusive. As some churches and sects may preach that there's 120,000 people that are going to be saved and then that's it. The doors of heaven are shut. It's not biblical. It says, and other sheep, which are other humans, I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. And they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I love this passage of scripture because it tells us that Jesus is really the only shepherd worth following. And I would say today that the issue in the world today isn't so much that we have a lack of shepherds or hirelings, people willing to actually try to lead sheep or lead people, but we have an absence of people who are allowing themselves to be led by the good shepherd. Jesus makes a point, I think a very important point in this passage of scripture where he shows us the difference between what a hireling and what a shepherd looks like. The hireling is there to line their own pockets. 
So you may look out there and see all kinds of versions of get your best life now and, you know, some kind of watered down message. It takes Christ out of the message but just puts forward the principles and it's all about that person lining their pocket. But their motivation is not your life, your well-being, but it is to line their own pockets. Jesus saying, Jesus is saying you will know the difference between a hireling and a good shepherd because the good shepherd does not leave when the going gets tough. In fact, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. So I want to introduce you to this good shepherd today and I would say if there was really any uh, one thing that has brought me any level of success in my life is that it is the fact that I have followed the leading of the good shepherd. I am not smart enough, I am not pretty enough, I am not intelligent enough, I do not have enough going for me that I can have the life I have today simply because of other external factors. The life I enjoy, the marriage I have, the children I have, any level of prosperity I walk in, any level of influence I walk in is purely happening in my life because I've followed the leading of the Good Shepherd. The Bible says in Acts that God is no respecter of persons. What he has done in my life, he can and will do in yours if you allow him to be the shepherd of your life. So we see in Psalm 23 that here King David introduces us to the good shepherd, to what this shepherd actually looks like. So I'd love it if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, this famous psalm. Many of us in this place, even those of us who weren't raised in church or maybe aren't even Christians, would have heard this psalm referenced at some point in their life. And I want to break it down for us this morning. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. There are some people in this building that need to hear that today. You feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you feel alone. And I want to remind you today or perhaps tell you for the first time that you have never experienced an alone moment in your entire life. The Bible says that Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother, that he is a very present help in a time of trouble. He does not flee like the hireling when trouble comes. He is a very present help. Then it goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I love this and I'm not going to be able to really develop this point today, but I want to put it to you that the Bible says that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And many of us want to prepare our own table in the presence of our enemies. We want to show them, look what I've got, look what I did. I'm going to make it rain and on, in pain on you but when you look at the blessing on my life and God's like, no, don't bother. I'm going to prepare a table for you. You just back off and let me be God. Then it goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil. God's all about your promotion in every area of life. I'm not just talking about your job, your employment, but he's all about you leveraging to the greatest possible place you can be in every area of your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your financial world, in your health, in your soul realm, in the heart issues of life. Then it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want to break down a couple of these points this morning and really introduce you to this good shepherd, who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention this morning is where the Bible says that the good shepherd, the Lord who is our shepherd, makes us lie down. How many people ever in life have had the Lord make you lie down? How many people have been made to lie down? Well, I know I have. And oftentimes it's those tragic, disappointing, discouraging moments in life where God is able to come in and make us lie down. You know, when you're a kid and your mum made you lie down, you were cranky, you'd had a bad day, you were lashing out and she's like, you need to go take a nap. You know that God makes us take naps every now and then? He makes us lay down. Remember, I remember as a young woman in New Zealand, I was all of like 23 or maybe 22 with two little kids. And uh, I was just so frustrated with life. And, you know, church is a pretty easy and convenient place to hide, wouldn't you say? You know, a lot of people hide in church. It's the perfect place to hide because nobody suspects. <laughs> and I may even take it a little bit further and say ministry is an even better place to hide. Some of the most messed up, broken people I've ever met are pastors. It's easy to hide. Nobody's going to give you an intervention when you're holding a Bible close to your chest. You're turning up to church every Sunday. You're putting in your tithe. You're serving on a volunteer team. But I'm telling you, I was such a person and yet I was broken on the inside. Why? Because I'm human. Because I've spent more than, I don't know, a minute on planet Earth. I couldn't give you any overarching reason why I was frustrated, why I was aggravated. I guess it was because I was just breathing air on planet Earth. And so I found myself at 23 so frustrated. A Christian, yes. A pastor, yes. You know, if you looked at me on the outward, you would say, she's perfect. She needs nothing. But on the inside, I was so broken. And I remember one day just not being able to hold it in anymore and I just screamed like a scream that came from the bottom of my soul of grief and anguish and, fr anguish and frustration and aggravation and hatred and resentment and bitterness. I was angry at God. I had questions. I was angry at the church. I was angry at my husband. I was angry at myself. I didn't like who I was and out of that place came this scream. Now, fortunately for me, I did it in front of my husband. <laughs> so I had some accountability. And it's always good when there's a witness to some kind of outburst like that because it's at that moment you can have an intervention. <laughs> and it was that moment that God made me lie down. Enough is enough, Leanne. I want things to be better than they've been. I would rather have you exposed and uncovered to a place where I can actually bring restoration to your soul than have you pretend in a facade for the rest of your life and walk through church like nothing is wrong. Like I said, it's a real easy place to hide. But here at C3 San Diego, we're not into pretense and we're not into masks. So you'll find that you'll come into an environment where you are allowed to let out a blood-curdling scream and we will allow God to make you lie down. <laughs> now, why does God want us to lie down? There's got to be a reason, right? 
God wants us to lie down because he wants to get to the greater work, which is the restoration of our souls. Bible says of the good shepherd, he leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. Why does God want you to lie down? Because he wants to restore your soul. How does God go about the business of restoring our soul? He goes about the business of restoring our soul where we come to a place where we begin to be transparent with him about where we really are in life. Now, I could pretend for a long time, but the truth is, so long as I pretended, there would be no change. I love the example of King David. He said it's in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know me. Test my every anxious thought. See that there is no wicked way within me. And then he goes on to say of the Lord, he is acquainted with all my ways. And I think oftentimes in church, we think that there are things that we need to hide from God, like it's actually possible to hide anything from God. He's acquainted with all our ways. He knows our thoughts. He knows our fears. He knows our sins, our struggles. He's acquainted with all of it. So why are we hiding it? Well, God will know I'm not perfect. Ah, He already knows you're not. He wants to get about the greater work of bringing restoration to our souls. He wanted to take me to a place, the word restoration literally means to bring back or restore to its original intent. So God's not just content with our salvation, but he wants to get about the business of the restoration of our lives. So before the trauma happened, before the divorce made you question everything, before the questions you had about God and his character and how could bad things happen to good people, before the loss you suffered that made you question everything about your faith, before that disappointment, before that deception, before that pain, that wound entered your life, God is all about getting us to a place where we can lie down so he can restore our soul and actually bring us back to the place of his original intent. Take a little girl who was 23, full of the questions of life that I believe every single one of us have, full of the frustrations of a life that I believe every single one of us has, have, and actually get me to a place where I could stand firm and confidently knowing that I could be still and know that he is God, that I didn't need to hide, that I didn't need to wear a mask, that he was a good shepherd. He was going to lead me beside still waters and he was going to restore my soul. Can somebody give God a big amen in this house this morning? You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. And then after that scripture, there's a very famous scripture, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober, be diligent for your adversary, your enemy. You have an enemy just in case you didn't know. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the inference is if we do not learn to cast our cares, then unknowingly or unwittingly we give the enemy an opportunity to devour and bring destruction into our lives. But do you know the great thing? That just like the devil is an evil opportunist, our father, our good shepherd, 
He is a good opportunist. He is a righteous opportunist. And his word says that he makes all things work together for good for those who love him. So he can actually take the place of your pain, your wound, your grief, your disappointment, your doubts, your questions about the character of God. And he says, if you let me lie down and restore your soul, I'll actually use that pain as an opportunity to bring good into your world. Can somebody give God a huge amen this morning? I want you to receive this fruit into your spirit this morning the third thing he makes us lie down number one he restores our soul number two the third thing he does is he leads us in paths of righteousness do you know that you cannot get righteousness on your own it's impossible that's why God had to send Jesus to stand in the gap for our sin for our transgression and actually take our place as the sacrifice. So the way that we receive righteousness in God is actually through receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. The Bible says that He takes our sin that was as red as scarlet and washes us as white as snow. The Bible says in Corinthians 5 verse number 21, For He has made Him, the Good Shepherd, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So are you getting that? He can only lead us into paths of righteousness. Good living cannot lead you into righteousness. Wishing and hoping cannot lead you into righteousness. Buddha cannot lead you into righteousness. Confucius cannot lead you into righteousness. Only Jesus Christ can lead you into righteousness for His name's sake. And just like it is only God that can lead us into righteousness through Jesus... It is only God that can lead us into the life that God has for us. I want you to hear me loud and clear today. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. There is no life worth living outside of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus said, and he was not a man that he should lie, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, if you want the life, that Jesus desires for you, then you cannot lead yourself into it. It's not through your ability. It's not you wearing the right dress at the right time in the right nightclub that's going to pick up the right guy. It's not even going to come down to how many degrees you have. My life should be evidence of that, people. I'm up here standing talking to you fine people with a level of influence that belies the amount of or lack of degrees that I actually have. In fact, I should not even be standing here. Let's start with that. My mum was told when she was pregnant with me that I, she needed to terminate the pregnancy, that I should be aborted because she had a heart condition. They did not think that she would survive the pregnancy. It was a very short conversation as she was a woman of God who was led by the Good Shepherd. She said, heck to the no. And as a result, here I am. So for starters, if the devil had his way, I wouldn't even be here. Then I was kind of as dumb as a post in school, just saying, just to give you all a little bit of hope. I left school in the 10th grade, which is perfectly normal in Australia, right? Well, he's, he's saying no. But anyway, I left school in the 10th grade. I was so bad at maths, and now I come from a family of five girls. My older three sisters all got scholarships to college, brainiacs. I was like tra-la-la, Leanne. 
And I turn up at the high school that we all went to and the maths teacher, Mr. Turner, after looking at my math scores, just shook his head like this. Seriously, for like a minute, was just perplexed. And he looked up at me, he's like, are you sure you're a grey girl? Yeah, you don't need to feel sorry for me. It was bad, it was tragic, it was true, okay. And yet, here I am, shepherding, influencing God's favourite people in God's favourite city. You know, the Bible says in Revelation that God opens doors that no man can shut. And he shuts doors that no man can open. So I want to tell you today, if you're trying to crowbar your way through life, thinking it's all about your leading, what you can do for yourself, what doors you can open, and that opportunity that you can get, the way you can manipulate, the way you can uh, you know, go into employment places, places that you work and make all kinds of bad tactics and bad moves and be behave in all kinds of irresponsible ways to maybe get that promotion and compromise all over the place. You know, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, seek first the kingdom, seek first the leading of the good shepherd, follow the leading of the good shepherd, and then all these things will be added unto you. But so often in life, we put the cart before the horse. Well, I got to make it happen. I got to make it happen. And we're striving and we're miserable because instead of allowing the good shepherd to lead us, we take the responsibility of leading ourselves. And like I said, there is no life out of, the, out of Christ and there is no good life that you can lead yourself into. You must be led by the leading of the good shepherd. People look at me and they are perplexed. I've had women angry and mad and look at me gnashing their teeth. How is it that she has what she has? She shouldn't. She's a Stepford wife. She left school in the 10th grade. Ah, thank you, Good Shepherd. He prepares the table for me in the presence of my enemies. How did that happen? It's the leading of the Good Shepherd, my friends. There are smarter, more ambitious, more beautiful, not many, but more beautiful people in the world than me. I should not have what I have. It all comes down to the leading of the good shepherd. Okay. Point number four. The Bible says of the good shepherd, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's rod was used to fight away predators. The shepherd carried the rod at his belt. It was a stout piece of wood, three feet long, with a lump of wood the size of an orange at the end of it. With this, the shepherd fought the battles of the flock, using it to drive off wild beasts and to defend the flock against the robbers who would steal the sheep. Contrary to popular opinion, the shepherd's rod is not for correction. It is for protection. Okay, brace yourselves, people. I am about to show you a picture of something that only the fiercest, bravest Aussies can handle. But you are American after all, so you should be able to handle this because you are the best people, the strongest, most amazing people in the world. Put her up there, guys. Yes. See, to an Australian, this is, yeah, whatever, next. We've got like, you know, 10 of the deadliest spiders in the world and seven of the deadliest snakes. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the devil was allowed to create two animals, snakes and spiders. 
How do I know this is biblical? Every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven above, from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation in shadow and turning. This is not good and perfect. This is evil and demonic. So this was at my front door the other day. I'm just casually wanting to go to Chili's with my five-year-old girl. I walk out the front door and hanging in a web right by my front door was this ugly, demonic, created by the devil, black widow spider. Now, thankfully, my five-year-old daughter, who was tra-la-la Zoe, just like her mummy before her, (laughs) did not go out the door first. She was being led by her good mama. And I had eyes to see what she could not see. What she may have run through and potentially got bitten, I was able to cut off at the pass and use my husband's golf shoe in a redemptive moment for golf right there. and smashed the heck out of that spider until it was nothing but a smear on my front porch. Do you know your good shepherd is just like that? And we are all like sheep gone astray. We're like those little Zoes who just kind of meandered through life and without the leading of a good shepherd, we can find ourselves in all manner of situations, in manner of sticky situations with enemies ready to stick their fangs into us. But if we're being led by the good shepherd, the Bible says that his rod brings protection over our lives. And Jesus is ready and willing for those who follow him to fight off every predator and enemy that comes your way. Come on. Yeah, go on. Give God a shout. You can take that down. Let's stop. That's enough trauma for one day. I loved the movie Captain Phillips. How many of you have seen it? One of the greatest movies ever makes me fall even more in love with America, which I didn't think was possible. What is the overarching theme of that movie? Do not mess with an American. If you do, we will hunt you down and we will kill you. I started to feel sorry for the Somali pirates in the end. I'm like, these poor little skinny, oh, jeez. Guys, just throw him overboard and then chug as fast as you can to the Somali coast. You are in over your head. And, of course, we all know the story, hopefully. All of us are abreast with current news topics. Um, The Somali pirates were taken out and Captain Phillips was rescued. One man, they had two big naval ships and an entire force of special forces, SEAL team, come in and rescue him. But if that's true for an American citizen, how much more is it true for a citizen of heaven? Someone who follows the leading and the guiding of the good shepherd who has that rod in his hand and is able to fight off lions, bears and any enemy that comes your way. The Bible says that he hedges us in front and behind, that he commands angels concerning us to hold us up lest we will even dash our foot against a stone. You can trust the leading of the good shepherd to protect you from the enemies you can see but also the enemies you cannot see. The only time we need to fear the hand of the enemy, the snare of the fowler, is when we willfully remove our lives from the leading of the good shepherd. I'm going to read you a a little fable. How many of you are familiar with Aesop's fables? So he was kind of a hit or miss guy, can I just say? Some of his fables are just like, oh, that was bad. But this one I feel like was a bit of a hit. It's called the pack ass, the wild ass, and the lion. Now, an ass is a donkey. I'm not being rude. Okay. (laughs) A wild ass saw a pack ass jogging under a heavy load. 
and taunted him with the condition of slavery in which he seemed to live. What a vile lot is yours compared with mine. I am free as the earth and never do a stroke of work. That's how donkeys talk. <laughs> I have no one telling me where to go or what to do. No one making demands of me. But you, you silly donkey, you depend on your master and must obey all that he commands. And he makes you carry heavy loads every day. And then he whips you when you stray from your course. Eeyore. At that moment, a lion appeared on the scene and made no attempt to attack the pack ass, owing only, listen, to the presence of the master. Getting that? But he immediately fell upon the wild ass who had no one to protect him and without more ado made a meal of him. What is the moral of the story? Do not be a wild ass. Be a pack ass. Sure, the Lord may require of you to carry a burden, but he says, don't worry, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But in the carrying of that burden, you place yourself under the mighty protective presence of the Lord God Almighty, the, the God who is able to snuff out the enemy, the Bible says, with even the breath from his nostrils. You do not need to be afraid. You just need to make sure you are following the leading of the Good Shepherd. Can somebody shout in this house this morning? We serve a good God who protects and watches over his children. Point number five, his staff. The shepherd's staff. What does the staff do for us? What does the staff mean for us? The staff was a long crooked stick. Always the shepherd walked with it in his hand. And when a sheep showed signs of straying, he would stretch out and pull it back with his crook. How many people here have ever felt the shepherd's crook on your neck? Please tell me I'm not the only one. Happens almost weekly. Oftentimes it's my husband's wielding the crook. But its impact is the same nonetheless. Sometimes it's sitting in church and I'll hear a word and I'll feel that crook around my neck. You know, if you're following the leading of the good shepherd, you will not go through life without feeling the shepherd's crook around your neck. Not to beat you. See, here's the difference. The rod was for beating enemies. The crook was not for beating the sheep, but for correcting them, pulling them in. God does not beat his children. He does not beat his sheep. He pulls them in with the, rod, with, with the staff of correction. He pulls them in with the, cro the crook of correction. You know, there's a story in the Bible, in the book of Luke. It's a story about a guy that we know as the rich young ruler. And the Bible paints this picture of this very wealthy, influential, powerful man running and falling at the feet of Jesus and saying to him, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? To be saved? And the Bible says that Jesus responded by saying, you need to honour your mother and father and love your neighbour as yourself. And his response was, well, all that I've done from the time I was a young kid. And then the Bible says this, it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him and then said, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and then come follow me. The point I want to make from that story is the good shepherd if you're following the leading of the good shepherd, there will be moments in your life that people need to look at you, love you, 
and tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. You know, we've traded this thing called truth in the world today for preference, political correctness, my feelings, honour my feelings. You know, there are there is something more important than your feelings and it's called your life. It's called your freedom. The Bible says that it's only the truth that will set you free. If you know the truth, then you will become free. But we will resist the truth because sometimes it comes in the form of a shepherd's crook around our neck. There are many times in church that we don't listen to what, not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear simply because we've not allowed that father, that good shepherd to come in with his rod of correction. Because I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time Jesus appeared in my room and gave me a word of correction. Most often that word of correction comes from somebody who can look you in your eyes and love you. A real flesh and blood human. And it's so much harder to take from a flawed human, isn't it? I had an interesting situation not too long ago where I was driving in the car with my husband, which always makes for explosiveness. Because he is, yes, point number six, my husband's is the worst backseat driver in the world. You need to write that down. And so we're driving and he says to me, in only the way that he can in his backseat driving manner, don't go, don't turn right here, go straight ahead, go a different way because the traffic is always bad on this road. Now it was at this moment that I decided to take my power back. I was driving the car after all. And I said to him, no, I'm turning right. Everything will be fine. Famous last words. About a minute down the road, we encounter the worst, the worst roadworks since the beginning of time. And as we are sat behind a steamroller, I am hoping, wishing, praying that he would not say anything that he would just let it pass because surely it was obvious to everyone in the car, including my sister who was in the back, that he was right and I was wrong. There was no words that need to be said after all. It was clear, it was obvious. We could just sit there and pretend like it wasn't happening, right? So I was hoping, I was praying. And after a couple of minutes, he just turns to me and goes, you know, if you had have gone the way I said, we wouldn't be behind this steamroller right now. And I'm telling you, it was the straw that broke the wild ass's back. I was like, oh, heck to the no. And I turned to him and I said, you failed. That was a test from the Lord. You could have sat there and said nothing, but oh no. You had to point out the obvious. The Bible says that love covers and you exposed me. That was a test from the Lord and you get an F, you failed, you failed. And then I continued for another five minutes to berate him all the while my sister is sitting in the back wishing the earth would swallow her up. She was so embarrassed. And I went through the whole day feeling very justified as the executor of justice as to why my husband should have shut up instead of trying to tell me the obvious. And my sister grabbed me when we went out for a coffee and she goes, you know, Leanne, it was so embarrassing to sit in the back of the car when you spoke to your husband that way. You know, the Bible calls, you know, the Bible says a wise woman builds her house and a foolish one tears it down with her hands. And I wanted so bad to say, oh my gosh, who are you one to talk? I've seen the way you talk to your husband. If that's not the pot calling the 
kettle unsubmissive. And I so badly wanted to deflect the correction from myself and actually go, well, what about you? You know, there are so many times in life, aren't there, when we feel that shepherd's crook around our neck and instead of allowing it to gently guide us back to our place, instead we make all kinds of excuses, we deny it, we deflect it, we blame somebody else. But you know, in that moment, as hard as it was, as much as I wanted to say to my sister, I think it's time for us to drive you back to the airport, I actually took that correction. It felt like acid going down, I'm not gonna lie. It was a hard pill to swallow. I wanted to deny, I wanted to say, well, my husband was a jerk and he deserved it. I wanted to say, well, you're just as bad, if not worse. But the truth was, it was the correction of the Lord. You know, King David said, the correction of the Lord is like anointing oil upon my head. Let my head not refuse it. Bible also says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3 verse 12, the Lord corrects. The good shepherd corrects the person he loves, just as a father corrects the son he delights in. Do you know why the good shepherd corrects us? Because he loves us. He's not on some power play. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He owns everything already. He's already got all the power. It's not some kind of, I just want to assert my authority. No, He corrects us because He loves us. Because He can see us straying down a path that He doesn't want us to go on. So He grabs His shepherd's crook. He doesn't beat us with us. He just, with it, He just gently draws us back into the right pathway. You know, King David in the Bible comes to a point in his life where he's made all kinds of terrible, evil decisions. He sleeps with a woman that isn't his wife. She ends up falling pregnant. Then he kills her husband to cover it up. It's a devastating situation. The Bible says that God sent Nathan. Now, God had a relationship, a very close relationship with David. But God did not appear to David in the flesh to correct him. He sent a man. He sent a prophet. And there are people in your world, whether they be connect group leaders, good Christian friends, parents, other godly friends, pastors, leaders who need to be able to come into your world, look you in the eye, love you, and tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. That's the leading of the Good Shepherd. And as a result, King David was able to repent and the Bible says that he said these words he said cast me not away from your presence O God and take not your Holy Spirit from me restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me correction leads us to repentance repentance turns us around and gets us back onto the right pathway I'd love it if every head was bowed every eye closed The other thing about this good shepherd is he goes after lost sheep. The good shepherd isn't content if one from his flock wanders off. He doesn't go, well, had 100, now I've got 99. What's the difference? Bible says he will leave the 99 in the open country. So desperate is he to restore that one back into his flock. He will leave the other 99 in the open country and he will go after the one which is lost. 
I want to tell you today, Jesus, your good shepherd, knows how to find you. He knows where you are. You may not even know where you are, but your good shepherd knows where you are. He's not content for you to stay there. He's not content to leave you with those questions about the character of God. And you've run away instead of asking and submitting the questions to the Lord, bringing it under His Lordship, allowing answers to flow into your life through the wisdom of other Christians and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Instead, you run away. God still knows where to find you. Doesn't matter how bitter, how broken, how far gone, how dirty, how messed up you've become. The Good Shepherd knows where you are and He knows how to find you. And the Bible says He's coming after you. So you better be prepared today because while there is still breath in your body, the Good Shepherd is looking for you. And He will leave those 99 and He will come after the one that is lost. And the Bible says that when He finds that one who is lost, He puts that sheep over His neck and He goes and He rejoices that the one who was lost is now found. I have four children. We lost my youngest son, Tommy, one day in Mammoth Mountain. The sun was going down. It was 4.30 in the afternoon. He was four years old. We lost him on Mammoth Mountain. Now, I didn't say to my husband, well, we got three other kids. Three out of four ain't bad. I got to seeking my lost son. I got to seeking him. And I would not rest until he was found. So if you're here today and you, like so many of us in life, have gone astray and you've wandered away from God's family, today I want to give you an opportunity to come back. The Good Shepherd is leading you. The Good Shepherd is drawing you. If that's you today, lift your hand up nice and high.